0: As alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Greetings of peace, loved ones, brethren, and sisters tuning into Path and Present podcasts. I want to welcome everybody, I'm praying everybody's well. Uh, we are just wrapping up the month of Rabi al Awwal, which is the blessed month of the prophetic birth, the birth of the Prophet Muhammad and we are in December, the holiday season in which the birth of Jesus is commemorated. So uh, it's a festive time. I hope everybody's getting time to spend with their family and friends. Uh, we have a wonderful episode for you t- this month, uh, but before I introduce it, I just wanted to share a little bit about uh, what I've been up to. Um, Alhamdulillah, really, I traveled a lot during the last few months around North America, East Coast, Midwest, and the South, as well as the West Coast, and a little bit in Canada as well. Um, so, do I feel physically sick to my stomach at the thought of getting on another airplane? Yes. <laughs> Did I have a good time? Yes. Is that much travel sustainable or healthy for the human being? No. But uh, I kept reminding myself that I'm grateful to be busied with good things because it's a lot of people are busy with other than that. But it's really beautiful to see uh, that the month of Rabi Allah, well, the celebration of the Prophet's birth, is becoming a more mainstream practice amongst North American Muslim communities. Seems like just five years ago, people were hush-hush and uh, trying to tiptoe around it so as not to uh, inspire the ire of those kind of influenced by the Salafi Wahhabi ideology. But nowadays, um, it has become really widespread. So that's a beautiful thing. To celebrate the birth of the Blessed Prophet. So many of you who are listening, I saw you, you came out to the shows or the workshops or the events when I was in North America. So it was good to see everybody. It was a real blessing and a real honor. And I was just saying to some of my friends that one of my favorite things that happens when I'm traveling is when people come up and say, I love the podcast. You might think it would be like I love the poetry or the music or something else, but actually, you know, when people say that they love the podcast, it's a special kind of thing because I'm used to getting feedback or responses. When you perform, you know, uh you see how people respond. But the podcast is a thing that I do um usually just in a room with one under with one individual, and then I kind of put it out there. And I'm not really sure who's listening to it or how they're experiencing it or, or what's going on. I get a few comments here and there, but I don't really get a lot of feedback um, on a day-to-day basis. So when people come up and say, this episode meant a lot to me, or this changed the way I thought, or I picked up this book because you mentioned it, or you know I started to follow the, the works of a specific individual that you had on. Uh, you know, I had one woman who came up to me in London and said that she actually switched her course of study based on a podcast, um, something that was discussed there. So that means a lot. And I think it really speaks to the fact that these, you know, having deep and kind of nuanced and real and honest conversations, um, about life and about the spiritual path and about all these topics, um, is more or less rare. And, um, so it's a beautiful medium, the podcast, and I love doing it. So if you do connect with it, uh, this is for you. Just one person that says it means a lot to them, that's like, all right, I'm going to do it for sure. Uh, because, again, it's a thing for me that it's kind of on the back burner a little bit. It's not something that is is really like economically sustainable. <laughs> it's not something that uh, has ever been that. It's really just been something that I enjoy doing. But if you, so if you do like it, then, uh, please share those comments. Um, any responses online, definitely commenting on iTunes, uh, gives, uh, helps it be boosted so other people can see it. And then just sharing it with your people, um, and letting them know is really helpful as well. Word of mouth is always the way that, uh, good things spread. Um, and then any, uh feedback or comments that you have at Barca Blue on Twitter, or you can hit me up on Facebook as well. And, um, you know, let me know if there's somebody that you think I should have on or some topic that should be discussed or any feedback or response from anything discussed on one of the episodes, please do let me know. I would love that. And then, uh, as I mentioned before, I would love to dedicate more time to this and, uh, put it, uh, more front and center and do it more consistently. We do it about once a month for the last couple of years, which has been cool, but I'd love to do it more frequently. And at times we have had the ability to give more frequently. Um, but yeah, so if you want to see it grow, see it more frequent, um, you can support on our Patreon, patreon.com slash path and present. And, um, you can also find that link, um, on our iTunes or on our SoundCloud, which are the two places that this podcast lives. And make sure to subscribe on iTunes because then it's automatically downloaded <coughs> to your devices. Uh, cool. That's all I'll say about that. Um, except to say thank you for supporting. It's really dope. And it's nice to stay ad-free um, and just be able to go with the support of the listeners. So... Um, I'm just about to introduce this podcast, but one thing that I wanted to mention as well that I, that's that been really beautiful, and some of you may have taken part, is we've been doing these workshops online um, through Rumi Center for Spirituality and the Arts, and the first ones that we've been doing were called Opening the Eye of the Heart, and it's writing a spiritual practice, so it's part writing exercises, sharing kind of tools of the craft, And there's part studying the great tradition of mystical poetry, Sufi poetry in particular, but we look at other traditions and other great poets from around the world as well. So uh, it's been an amazing thing to take part in. And, you know, now we have a lot of people that have been through it. And we're going to try to offer it every quarter. And the next one is January 6th. So if you're interested in that, um, visit RumiCenterWorkshops.com. And we're just wrapping up a, a new workshop that we did for al awwal for the month of the Prophet's birth. And we called it, Drawing Near to the Beloved Poetry in Praise of the Prophet And we studied from the time of the Sahaba up through the, the great 1400-year tradition of poetry in praise of the Prophet and we wanted to bring in contemporary poets and musicians to show that this is a living tradition. But we also wanted to bring in scholars and specialists who specialize in in this tradition. So each week um, we had a guest scholar as well as a guest artist. Um, And the guest artists included um, Ali Keeler from Ferdows Ensemble, Amir Suleiman, the spoken word poet, uh, Brother Ali, hip hop musician, the Pearls of Islam from London, Sakina Pilgrim. Also a dope poet from London. Um, and uh, that was just amazing to have all those people involved. And then on the side of of scholarship, we had Dr. Omar Farouk Abdullah. We had Sheikh Abdul-Hakim Murad. We had Idris Watts, who uh, is a specialist on the Delai al Khairat uh, of Imam al-Jazuli. We had Sayed Umer, my uh, Arabic teacher from back in the day, talking about the Burda. Khazir um, Borda and we had Alu damini Dr. Alu Damini, who's a specialist on Islam in Africa, but also writes uh, about Sufism and art more generally so it was amazing to have all those people involved, and we had uh, so many people from all over the world take the course and it's really nice to to see this kind of community growing of uh, spiritual spiritually minded creatives people that see their creative journey as part and parcel of their spiritual path. And, you know, we have people that have never written poets before poems before. And we had established poets and writers and musicians. So it's for everybody. So I want to invite all of you to take one of our courses. And the next one is January 6th. Uh, Welcome. com. So as for this episode, I had um, the honor of, being part of a program at the Hub Foundation in the Bay Area as part of my travels in November. And this was the last weekend of November that we did this. The Hub Foundation is really something amazing. Um, It is a nonprofit organization in San Ramon, California. And it's actually, they have a gym, they have classrooms, they have a prayer space, and they have an event space. And when I say gym, It's not 24-hour fitness. It's all like state-of-the-art, amazing equipment, including float tanks and uh, cryogenic chambers. Um, The basketball court's super dope. I mean, Steph Curry trains there. Um, There's a pool, and the pool actually area locks for the from the men's side for certain areas, so the women can have, you know. There are hours where it's only women's women swimming, and there's an area of the gym where it's only for women as well. As well. And the whole space, the gym and everything, is intentionally faith based. It's for people that believe and are on the spiritual path. Um, and it's founded by Sam, Sam Hirbod, uh, and he actually gave us a tour. Uh, really visionary man who's doing great work. And Zachary Markwith is the executive director. Um, Zach is someone who had never met before, but we had corresponded. He's written uh, some books and papers. We have very similar interests um, in Sufism and in mysticism more generally. Um, and so in this episode, I, I speak with uh, Zachary, and um, it was a beautiful conversation. Um, it really felt like we were only scratching the surface, talk a little bit about his journey, talk about his research and his writing. Um, And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So uh, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Sending everybody love and light as we move into 2019 and uh, asking for your dua. All right, y'all. Peace. Sure, sure.
1: Um, so, so I was, I was disenchanted, uh, coming out of, out of high school with, uh, much of American culture, primarily because of the wars that were being fought in the Middle East, in Iraq and other places, the sanctions as well. This was in the late nineties and, you know, also being aware of, of uh, the prison industrial complex, how black people are treated. I I began reading Noam Chomsky and listening to talks by Mumia Jamal, Mm -hmm. and Sort of gravitated towards the, I think, like you, the the left. But it but it was interesting. It was coming more out of the the punk rock hardcore movement. That's the same as hip hop. <laughs> That's <laughs> the same exactly. Thing. Yeah, there was a lot of hip hop there too. Yeah. Uh, but you know, and and some of the best people, if you don't judge people by appearances, the the conscience of America is is really it's in, it's among young people. It's in hip hop and it's in punk rock. Absolutely. Movement. Uh, pe- people who who stand up for for human rights, who care about uh, the earth, and so so it was it was coming out of that movement. And I, I I was studying, I was reading, I began reading books on different religions, particularly the the Chinese tradition, mm. and then uh, Islam. And I realized that the problems that we have. Globally, nationally, they, they can't be solved without the the help of, of heaven. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be able to do this on our own. How, however, we have to strive as well. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Islam made sense because, in, because it embraced previous prophets and revelations. You know. The universality of it. Exactly. So, so by, by, by virtue of becoming a Muslim, not only do you accept... You know Abraham, Moses, Jesus, Mary, Muhammad. Peace be upon them. But but also uh, this this sense that every nation was given a prophet. Uh, the 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 peoples of India, of, of China, of Africa, of the Americas. Don't forget Europe. Europe. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, sometime later, I, I became interested in, in in Greek the Greek philosophical tradition and and uh, you know its its roots in in you could say really Egypt, Mm -hmm. uh, through, through the pre-Socratics through Hermes, Mm -hmm. which, you know, Muslims consider the the prophet Idris Mm -hmm. or Enoch. So, um, yeah, it sort of started with this, this sense that that something is amiss. Uh, and, and yet gradually as I began to read more from the Quran from Malcolm X, I, I eventually came into contact with, uh, Sufi writings and writings of, of Muslim philosophers, Ibn Arabi, Rumi, um, Ghazali, Mullah Sadra, mm. Sukhravardi, and uh, and realize that, that it that it's also a, an inward struggle. Mm. That it's it's sort of there's sort of a, a a connection between the injustices outside of us and those within us, mm-hmm. and we have to work on them both. Is, and it doesn't have to be one or the other because there's a lot of yeah. Sufi groups that sort of say, sure, "Well, sure. just forget the world and right. focus on yourself," and uh, and then some groups, you know, activist groups that will say, "You know, don't worry about spirituality." But I I think we have to do both simultaneously. Um, so then eventually um, read read the writings of Baal Muhayyadine, met met uh, this this Sufi Sheikh from Sri Lanka, met some of his uh, direct students and came into contact with um, a teacher. This was in 1999 from, from Senegal mm. connected to the Mouridia. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name was, was Sheikh Abdullah J and uh, that was a transformative uh, experience. And he encouraged me to uh, get, get into academia. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was sort of outside of the establishment and yeah. he sort of said, now go, go get your your mm-hmm. degrees and you know he he uh, I own everything mm-hmm. but he was a remarkable man he he was he, he prayed all day would sing all day <laughs> uh, the names of God and and yet was um, uh, an architect and member of parliament mayor of his hometown in San Luis Senegal. So he was very active in his community. This yeah. almost yeah. this sense of, of, uh, you know, a, a Bodhisattva, someone who, who was keeping one foot yeah. in heaven, one and in Nirvana and one foot in samsara, one, one foot in, 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 heaven and one foot on earth yeah. and, and encouraged everyone to, to have that balance. So. I'm, I'm curious more about your path though, too. It sounds like there's a lot <coughs> it parallels of parallels a lot.
0: <laughs> it parallels a lot. Um, you know, similarly, I, you know, thinking back, I think I have a little bit more perspective on my own journey than I than I did at the time. Um, and so I think at every stage I could articulate it differently. But I think the two real streams that kind of wove to making me up uh, and really influenced me and raised me were the trajectories of the counterculture 60s and 70s. Mm. Um, and that comes, you know, because of the deep segregation and racial history of America, there's kind of, although there's overlap, there's kind of like the black American and the white American streams of kind of counterculture and meaning-seeking. And, mm. meaning seeking. and um, So because I grew up in, you know, kind of urban America, it really coming of age in the 90s, it was hip-hop mm-hmm. and like the kind of Seattle is where I grew up is a very musical city and you know you had the grunge scene a little bit earlier before that you had you know Jimi Hendrix is from there Quincy mm-hmm. Jones right so you have a very musical there's a big jazz scene so you have that but by the time I was coming of an age it was hip-hop right that was so that's kind of was a creative outlet and you know, I grew up in a very kind of multicultural moment, and the hip hop that I was raised on was still like very much connected to the kind of founding, the whole like Zulu nation, and all of these kind mm-hmm. of very positive messaging about like peoples that were colonized or enslaved and telling their stories, and like just. Mm-hmm. And I was also blessed to, you know, just experience those various narratives that I wasn't getting in, in public school, etc. Mm-hmm. So that really molded me, and then also at the same time, thinking about it, growing up in in households of myself and my friends who were, you know, people of different backgrounds, mixed races, all these things. You know, a, a lot of the, you know, my two best friends' parents. One of them, he was a beat poet. His dad was a beat poet. He was the one who ex- exposed us to Rumi. The mm-hmm. other one wow. was kind of a hippie who had, you know, went to Latin America and married a man from. Argentina and she had she was like a New York Italian but then had become Buddhist so reading you know I mean like these are Mm -hmm. the houses I grew up in Mm -hmm. and then it was really kind of just opened me to this idea that and I didn't grow I wasn't raised religious at all Mm-hmm. Because my dad was a Catholic mom Protestant, but my dad had a negative experience at Catholic school, the nuns were a bit cruel. So he was like, I want them to grow up free and like, find mm-hmm. out for themselves. Mm-hmm. And the Northwest is the least church growing region of America. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's kind of like the future. You know, that's kind of like where it's going. But at those days, most of people I knew they didn't go to church. But you know, I still think there is a kind of ethos, a spiritual energy there because of nature. Similar to the Bay Area, there's something mm-hmm. profound and people connect, not by going to church on Sunday, but by going into the mountains or going into the mm-hmm. wilderness or going to mm-hmm. the the Puget Sound, etc. But, you know, also like the messaging I was getting through hip-hop was very much like Nation of Islam, you know, 5% or stuff. So it's like Razkaz has nature of the threat. Black man is God, white man is the devil. Okay, how am I going to negotiate that as a... 13, 14-year-old, like, mm-hmm. person with blue eyes and blonde hair. And just all these messaging I'm getting, right? So I kind of really came to this space of just reading and seeking various, you know, looking at various spiritual traditions. Something that really sparked it for me is my best friend uh, going into high school. He was a year older than me. He, When I was going into high school, he actually died in a car crash. You know, a lot of mercy on his soul, and that caused me to be like, Okay, what is going on? Because I didn't get top down, like, my tribe didn't give me this is what we're doing here, this is where you go when you die. So I really started seeking all that. Mm -hmm. And I could go on and on, but just in the interest of time, essentially, it came down for me to when I saw the kind of way that. Islam affirmed all the other traditions mm-hmm. because I had come to the, that point that, mm-hmm. okay, truth is one, and mm-hmm. there are saints and sages and prophetic figures throughout time, and they all mm-hmm. said essentially the same thing. And it's very clear if you read their writings, and yes. you don't even have to do much effort. Like, you don't have to translate much. Like, oh, well, they said the same thing, but in different languages. No, it's the exact same language. <laughs> like, all is one. We're all come from the same source. Right. This source is not separate from us. It's at the center of our being. And there's a method to awaken to that, and to deepen to that, through transformation and virtue. And all these, you know, universal human values and qualities mm-hmm. of selflessness, service, honesty, integrity, sincerity. We could go on. And there are people that are veiled from that and see us all as separate, and so are working for their own self-interest or their small interest group. And this is the theater of divine unfolding. Mm. So each person plays their role, and so it wasn't. It, I always believed in Jesus and Moses and all that, but it was clear, like the you know established religions, I was in, in, interested in that, you know. But right. so it was easy for me to believe, oh Muhammad too. Like, okay. And there's no like hesitation on that. Mm-hmm. But I did also kind of read it through a more eastern lens of like enlightened masters and sages and sages, you know, because mm-hmm. I've been reading a lot of that. And so anyway, that's the not so short version. But mm-hmm. that's one version. But so I'm interested in since then, because I know you I want to hear about the Hub Foundation and the work you're doing now. Mm-hmm. And um, I know you also um how like you mentioned kind of going into academia and your just your journey, whatever you want to share of it. Um
1: so yeah, maybe we'll go chronologically, that makes a little bit more mm-hmm. sense. Um so so then I got into academia and studied Islamic studies and sociology. Uh, for my, my undergrad went and did a, a, a master's in, in comparative religion in, in, in Islam and Hinduism, mm. which, which is fascinating because, you know, going, going back to sort of this, this Eastern reading of Islam or, um, or even the other way around Islamic mm. reading of, of, mm. of the Dharmic traditions. I, I think there's a lot to, to, to say about that, in, in, including, you know, what what fascinated me were, were the, the the confluence between uh, what Dara Shikoh called the, the, actually the confluence of two seas, um, essentially the the metaphysics of of Islam and Hinduism, and and specifically the doctrine of tawheed of unity with non-duality mm-hmm. in in um, or Advaita. Uh, and so um, that that was an a something that, that fascinated me. I ended up writing, um, uh, on halaj mm-hmm. for, for a th- a th- my thesis and also, also sort of Christic sanctity in general, mm-hmm. those Muslims who resemble, uh, Jesus in their, um, qualities, uh, potentially in, in their, their miracles and, and conduct and, um, and then uh, now now find myself uh, writing my dissertation at the, the GTU on the Hadith al-Nawafil, this, this famous Hadith Qudsi or sacred saying, which which I, I think, as you know, uh, essentially in English, a servant draws near through the uh, obligatory rites, the Fard, and, and continues to draw near until I love them. And when I love them, uh, I become the ear with which they hear, the eye with which they see, the hand with which they grasp, and the foot with, with, with which they walk. And I think it's it's powerful for many reasons, and it can be read a lot of different ways. But in, in particular, it it proves uh, that tasawuf or irfan didn't come from somewhere else. Even though we find a similar teaching in other places, because those peoples were also recipients of divine revelation or inspiration. Right. It proves that Sufism wasn't the product of India or Iran right. or Christianity or Judaism, that this was in the original teachings of the Prophet. Yes. The peace and blessings and it's people. such a mystical
0: hadith that if, you know, for a lot of like more uh, exoteric minded Muslims who kind of reject the more esoteric aspects, mm-hmm. if they were to hear that, Saying attribute and with not knowing it was hadith attributed to one of the Sufi
1: masters would be like this is blasphemous. Like you exactly. know, it yeah, really it's, is. it's more radical than what Halaj mm-hmm. said. Exactly, <laughs> it, it by far because it says anyone who's a friend or a servant, mm-hmm. not just one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that in a sense, and and there's different ways of interpreting it, but in some sense, the divine um, overwhelms them. You can say it's the divine presence, the divine qualities, but in the some sense, I right? I mean, this, that <laughs>
0: self, yes, I become, yes. right? And then, which is amazing too. It doesn't say you become my eyes. Mm-hmm. It's it's the divine Anna, yes, <laughs> the divine Fuck selfhood it. saying I become through which you. Um. So and this is found is in the in the. Canonical hadith collections, right? I mean it's, it's not it's, debated.
1: It's in Sahih Bukhari, which is the it has the highest level of authenticity in the Sunni Hadith corpus. It was narrated by Abu Huraira, and it's it's found in a couple other other uh no, Sunni. Sources. Sort of buying, he, yeah, you know, and he this. takes it from Bukhari. Yeah. Um, but I've also found two additional narrations in mm. Asul al Kafi, which, which which is the most um sort of respected Shi'i book of hadith. Interesting. And what I think this is powerful for a couple of reasons. It proves that both traditions, which may not generally accept each other's sayings, they both accepted the saying. So it adds uh, they corroborate each other. And and the sayings are almost identical in one of the versions in Asul al Kafi, with the exception that the the one in in, in Al Kafi says, um, I become in addition to to ear and eye and so forth, I become the tongue with which he speaks.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's not in in the uh, in the Sahih
1: Bukhari one, but it's right, in right, right. But but some Sunnis narrate that version, mm-hmm. it's particularly Ibn Arabi narrates that version, mm-hmm. and uh, he doesn't say the, the Sufis don't always quote what they're what you know where they're getting their sources, especially okay. someone like Rumi he's especially ex- with he, he expect they expect the audience to know yeah. you know where this is coming from um and I'm not so interested in in um you know the controversies between the two mm-hmm. traditions, but rather the the unanimity that they come to around this these spiritual teachings mm-hmm. and so some people you know they might uh look at you know some of the early Sufis like Halaj or Bayazid, and say, you know, this is, this is, um, too esoteric or even they're, they're not Muslims. And they, some people have said the same about some of the early Shi'i Hadith that appear to venerate the, the, the family prophet mm-hmm. peace be upon him too much. Mm-hmm. When in reality, my argument is, is that these Sunni Sufis and the family, they're all, uh, embodiments of this hadith which, which came we believe from from God through the Prophet. Peace and blessings be upon people. MashaAllah. Uh,
0: I I want to get back to your like trajectory, but I'm curious in like diving into this more like what you found because this hadith is, is one of my favorite and one of the ones that is so profound. And mm. when I first read it, it it spoke to me so deeply. And so I'm curious, you know, what you found or what, uh, what angles you're looking at this from, or maybe early commentaries and what, how the Sahaba understood this or how the Salaf understood this. Yeah.
1: Right. So that's, that's actually the angle that I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm, uh, first I'm looking at the, the text, the early texts themselves, you know, and their authenticity and they're, they're all again, of the highest degree of authenticity. And I'm looking at the earliest commentaries that we can find, but those commentaries tend to come after their uh, appearance in uh, Bukhari and Aswul Kafi. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm 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 sort of gathering those early commentaries from about uh, the the ninth century uh, to the twelfth century, and uh, looking at what the, the scholars of hadith said, the Sufi said, the theologians, and um, in, in both the Sunni and the Shi'i traditions. Uh, but but I am trying to sort of do a reconstruction of the early period based upon uh, because there is no extent sort of commentary from the earliest period, but based upon other material that we knew was present. Mm. So, you know, there's famous famous uh saying uh, d- uh supplication of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, you know, um oh god, you know, put put, uh light in my ears and my eyes and to my right and to my left. So we, we may have these yeah. Exactly. We have these sayings where where he's, you know, the the divine somehow is is present in an intimate way in, in a way that's very near uh, and and i think that this tells us something because none of these sources were ever read in isolation from the the greater tradition and there's two sources in particular that i think just bear this out from the quran uh, and that they both involve the prophet peace be upon him. one the quran says um it wasn't you who threw, but it was God who threw mm-hmm. uh, during one of the battles. And the other is uh, during at the, the, the treaty at Hudabiya. The hand of God is over their hand. Mm-hmm. And they were. They, this was the, the Muslim companions making a pact yeah. with the Prophet, which is becomes a symbol of Baya with mm-hmm. the Prophet himself, peace and blessings be upon him, with um, you know his his successors and and the the Sufis later in history. So this this suggests that there's that the Quran itself uh, believes that, that that somehow the the qualities the guidance the 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 being of God can overwhelm the the being of the Prophet. I hesitate to call it union mystica. Mm-hmm. Um, for several reasons because it's defined somewhat differently in the Islamic tradition. Mm -hmm. Usually the later Sufis prefer Fana and Baqa, annihilation and subsistence. But um, basically for for the, for the simple fact that uh, when you get into the later tradition, which is what I then focus on towards the end, the the Akhbari school in Ibn Arabi, Mm -hmm. they suggest that um, there were never two realities to become one. That is that is God and, and man, we're, we're never separate to become one. Uh, it's, it's that God's oneness is the only reality that is and ever has been or ever will be. Right. And we, we come into an awareness of that through the Fard and the Nuwafel. Mm-hmm. And and so even Arabi's understanding is that, for example, God is perpetually the hearing, perpetually the seeing of all things. Mm-hmm and beyond creation. And when when one draws near to God, one becomes aware that God has always been the hearing and has always been the scene. So, yeah, let's
0: maybe unpack that a little bit more for those that, you know, let's let's maybe unpack Fana and Baqa for those that aren't as familiar, I know, because there's so much conversation about that in the tradition the, the story that comes to mind that really moves me deeply is from Rumi and he says I think he uh, says I don't think he says Halajah I just think he said Bayezid uh, Bistami but he says outwardly the Pharaoh the Pharaoh and Bayezid said the same thing
1: hmm.
0: basically I am God right but then he says however inwardly they said the exact opposite thing. Yes. Because of where it was coming from. That Pharaoh was saying it from his ego self, from his illusory. It was actually this kind of tyrannical assertion of his individual superiority over others. That's kind of, which is Iblis. You know, I am better than. Whereas Bayezid Bastami, who's one of these famous early Sufis who said these kind of outwardly blasphemous utterances like Halaj,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: but yet but are defended by the later Sufis as you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But they, the, these people, these Shatiyat, these mystical utterances are spoken from a place of absence of self, mm-hmm. of pure selflessness. Yes. And this is amazing, you know, because it's like these out, the, you know, it just shows there's levels and we have to understand where things are coming from. So maybe... Yes,
1: Carl Ernst wrote a great book yeah. on the mystical utterances. Yeah. And um, I think it's Words of Ecstasy and Sufism. Mm-hmm. And he, he goes through the, 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 the possible meanings, the politics of it. And, and every Sufi has, has written quite a bit. My, my favorite classical writer is, is probably Attar. And he has the most eloquent defense of halaj, mm-hmm. where he says, you know, basically you, you think that God could speak through the burning bush, but not through men. Um, and, and also I, I, I really resonate with his sense of, of, of we rather than I. Mm-hmm. And that comes through in his his uh, Mantical Tire, the Conference of the Birds, where the supreme... Um, goal, as you know, is, is sort of understood the symbolically as this mythical bird, the Cimorgue, that these, these other birds want to travel to, to, to basically return to God Mm -hmm. through the mystical path. The primordial bird, basically to their
0: archetypal essence kind of thing, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so they arrive and they see that that these that they these thirty birds end up arriving, they see that together they are a reflection of this simorgh, mm-hmm. and so the, in a sense, everything that they are is is only mm-hmm. the source, the origin, and I think we mm. is is a, is a protection against I, it, mm-hmm. and perhaps especially in our times, you know, it, yes. you know, we're, we're 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 on this path together, where we all come from God and we're all returning to God, mm-hmm. and 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 whether that's Sort of, existentially, or whether it's um, in the moment, yeah. or whether it's after death, you know, it's it's. Uh, I I I think, but there is a distinction, and I think that's where ethics come in. The distinction you raise in in Rumi between Pharaoh and um, Halaj or Bayazid, there's this distinction, and and it, it basically comes down to, you know, are are people loving their neighbor? Are they Uh, hurting their neighbor Mm -hmm. and I I think when you when you're looking for spiritual teaching whether it's non-dualist or dualist or whatever it it really comes down to how how do how do we and how are our teachers and so forth how are they treating uh people who who don't have uh anything Mm -hmm. you know and and how are they you know Are they trying to live the virtuous life, basically? Yeah, I mean, and that's the beautiful
0: thing that I think about Sufism is, you know, like they say, Sufi, he is a, a, you know, more of a Sufi than you who has better character, Mm -hmm. has better manners, because, and and really, like, Sufism is mystical virtue theory. I mean, it's not just theory, it's practice, but like, Mm -hmm. if you really study the the theory of it, it's it's a mystical virtue theory. It's a... Mm -hmm. Essentially, that hadith, what you're saying is that like it's, you know, on the outward level of religion, we say it's nice to be nice. It's bad to be bad. Like you say to a child, you know, like it's nice Mm -hmm. to be a nice person, you know, and then you know, and like you get candy if you're good and you get time (laughs) out if you're bad. And that's not not true. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But what these masters are affirming unanimously across tradition, which is pretty amazing, is that. Actually, you can essentially, and again, like these the semantics of words, which are very important. You have to take some poetic classes, but you can essentially reflect. Is how the Sufis often say mm-hmm. the divine quality. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: mercy is a divine quality,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and there's there is no merciful but the merciful. You know, just oh, like. You know like yes. we like la ilaha illallah there is no god but god and you can put any of the 99 names there in,
1: is no merciful but the merciful right there is no just but the just yeah. and and when the when when the quran exactly mashallah it's beautiful what you're saying when when the quran refers to the prophet as a mercy unto all the worlds mm-hmm. peace and blessings be upon him so so that, to say that there are to say that uh that's not the mercy of god is to posit two mercies mm.
0: It's it's not not, which is
1: essentially, mm-hmm. yeah, a form of, of, sure. sure. And it's the same with light. You know, it, the Quran refers to, to the prophet peace be upon him as a luminous lamp,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a Siraj. Right. Uh, so, and, and, and it, yet it also says, God is the light of the heavens and of the earth. So what is the light of the prophet peace be upon him, if mm-hmm. not the light of God. Right. And that's the same with all of us, you know, with our, with those, especially those who, who follow, uh, I think, you know the, the the path of the prophets of Muhammad of Jesus of Buddha, that 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 their qualities their their mercy their, uh light it's it's all radiating from the one, and right. and so then there's yes. a sense of detachment there's a sense of this isn't coming from me, whatever gifts people might have intelligence, sure, sure. you know yes. you're uh, you have you know an, an artist you know there's I think there's a sense among great artists that that this is coming from a higher place yes. Undeniable. I think
0: true artists, you know, they know because you can't – it's a gift. You realize it's a gift. And and anyway, but Mm -hmm. that's a whole thread which I would love to go (laughs) down. But on this topic, I mean, so, yeah, this idea of the deeper thing is it's not just nice to be nice, but Mm -hmm. that by being good, by being virtuous, by taking on these qualities, you become more – who you really are deeper down. Mm-hmm. You 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 lose that illusory self where it melts away, or the to use the Sufi metaphor, the mirror that is vi- that is blocking the light,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it becomes polished and you remove that rust and those things so you can fully and then right become the eye with which you see. Like it's really related to all this. And mm-hmm. fana, you know, annihilation, as my understanding, uh is you know, it's about that illusory self mm-hmm. dying right yeah and then baka is the eye with which you see is it you you come back to be able to see the phenomenal world because those in a state of fana they're not even aware that they're that, you know, they're there's they can't see you know what i mean there's no multiplicity right. but then when you come baka it's like you see the multiplicity but with the light of unity you're not mm-hmm. veiled anymore Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Or I know Ibn Arabi has a lot of nuanced conversations. Beautiful.
1: Yeah. I mean, I there's there's also something about Ibn Arabi which I think um, is useful for our time, which is there there are there are multiple points of view that are valid. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, he speaks of of the one many, mm-hmm. right? This is a powerful term. The one um, many. Al-Wahid al Essentially this sense of 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 the divine qualities manifesting through all of creation and being embraced by a, a greater unity. And so I think, uh, I hesitate to ever say like there's one yes. interpretation no, no, no. of something, but I, so, so I, so, so yours, I mean, it's, is is beautiful and profound. And, and, uh, I think it's, it's, it's how God is disclosing himself to you. That's the secret. Yeah. That's the great thing. And <laughs> and I'm interested because,
0: you know, they say there's like two paths, right? There's the path of ubudia, which is servitude, mm-hmm. slavehood, realizing your complete need—not just, but like not just outwardly, but ontologically for mm-hmm. the creator—that you, you know. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes your abuse. Beautiful, right? We think of like servanthood or slavehood as somehow negative often, right? But it's like, no, it's the most beautiful thing. It's the highest station, right? Right. And I'm doing you know, uh, you know, uh, Imam al-Haddad, I am a slave whose pride is my poverty. Like, uh, what I am proud of is that I am complete need. Yes. And I'm doing Sara Fakhri. The knowledge of my Lord suffices from asking or choosing. Like, I... It's just this mm. beautiful state, the mm. poetry that he wrote with it. But then the other path is the path of, they say, Ananiya, which is the, the affirmation of the, the false eye, which is mm-hmm. the path of Iblis. So this is Iblis right. and Adam. This is the primor- This is the meta history of the human creation, which is what is going on at all times. and all, people are choosing one path because, you know, Iblis was, you know, commanded to prostrate to Adam. I know there's some Sufi esoteric comments, but let's leave that aside for now. <laughs> I <But> agree. <laughs> that, that's amazing. But yes. Yeah. Um, but and he he refused because he saw the outward form, and said, "I am better than him. Why would I prostrate? I am fire; he's earth." But he didn't mm. see the inner reality. Whereas, mm. when Adam made a mistake, mm. he turned and said, "Forgive me." So it's this. Th- these are the choices. It's the mm. self assertion or. Or kind of chipping away at this, and what when we say self is the ego self. I guess one aspect I'm getting at, and I'm sure you have a, a lot to say about this because of your course of study and your interests, but one thing that I've been thinking about, and I, I don't, I'm sure you'd have a lot of insights, is because I'm also very much interested in the kind of uh, Advaita Vedanta tradition, mm. but they kind of come from different angles. The Sufi right. tradition is saying like, don't say i right whereas from my understanding of the advaita vedanta tradition they're saying no you are the i the supreme i right. and they're not saying this but like the way that in the advaita vedanta tradition they're so like openly like you are god you you know they're like
1: like it makes us right. kind of sufi cringe i think right. you know what i mean i think part of that's because our reception of advaita is a little watered down mm. in the West. Classically, when you look at the writings of Shankara and his teachers, mm-hmm. they had to undergo aesthetic practices for 10, 15 years. And, and, and yet, we, then we pick up a book of you know, Vedanta, and, and, and it's basically, uh, here are the four axioms. If you read, and, and you think if you've read them, you've got it, right? That, that, that everything is Brahman. That uh, thou art that, etc. Uh and and it's it's not that simple. You know, because because there are Sufi teachings that are just as profound, like halaj's an al-Haq, or or other Sufis who might say it in a different way. There is no reality but God, their reading of the of the mm-hmm. Shahada. There's there's nothing but God. Mm-hmm. So did you would right? But but often that takes years of of prayer, of charity of chipping away at the, the lower self or at least taming it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it just depends on which side of the human being we're looking at. Mm -hmm. The, the side that's, that's the, the lower self, especially the Nafs, Nafs al-Amarra. This side needs to be in some sense, if not negated, because there are some, some teachers that say it needs to be entirely negated. Whereas there's others that say it just needs to be guided properly. Mm -hmm. Um, the the lower self which is prone to pride and uh you know other faults that's that that needs to be put in check clearly from the tr- tradition and and sort of not uh claim uh you know s- selfhood through through that lower self mm-hmm. but then there is within the the heart uh and it's it's clear there's a, there's a tradition it's not uh, well cited, but there are several like this. The, the the heart of the faithful is the throne of the all merciful, a mm-hmm. hadith qudsi, the heavens and the earth do not contain me, but the heart of my believing servant contains me. So this sense when the lower self is is understood, its 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 existential poverty and its its vices are kept at bay, one one can have a clear understanding that that of, of God's abiding selfhood that that's the only i you know it, it, there there's no and and i think it's it's pedagogically brilliant the islamic tradition mm-hmm. in that it 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 does um uh prevent individuals from um sort of uh uh you know claiming divinity for 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 the for the lower self yes. and yet god is somehow mystically present everywhere, everywhere we turn, mm-hmm. including within the heart. Right.
0: The human consci- consciousness or subjectivity itself is a tajalli. It is a theophany. Like it is a self-manifestation.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a... Uh,
0: mashallah. Yeah, so- Ghazali
1: says something very similar in mm-hmm. Mishkat al-Anwar. He mm-hmm. says everything has two faces, a, 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 um, a face of its lord and a face of itself, in respect of its own face, its nothingness. In respect of its Lord, uh it's the only thing that exists, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, um I'm 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 sort of misquoting him or or, or paraphrasing him, mm-hmm. but um he he comes to a similar understanding and it predates even Arabi. Amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Alhamdulillah, I'd love to to go on um and inshallah, we can maybe find another time to continue this because I feel like we're just scratching the surface, but, um, unfortunately I have another meeting to get to. Um, do you want to just close by saying a few words about the hub foundation and what you're working on? now? Well,
1: first, uh, we're grateful that you're, you're coming to, uh, to, 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 speak, to, to deliver spoken word poetry at our event tonight. We, we have, uh, hub foundation was founded by, my friend and colleague, Sam Hirbot, and it's, it's focused on education. We, we have, uh, sort of three main areas we work on, uh, the grassroots level. We, we help lo- local organizations that are, are feeding people, providing, um, housing education, uh, with grants. Then we, we have a series of scholarships that go to students in Islamic studies and related fields. And then we have these live talks, which we're, we're grateful that you're you're speaking tonight. and the live talks are uh, basically brilliant uh, folks from from all walks of life who who are concerned with with both uh, you know these the, the spiritual issues we're talking about, but also the social and the political. And how is it that there's a connection between the two mm. uh, so it, you know in addition to to yourself. We've had Karen Armstrong come and speak, uh, Noam Chomsky, Amir Suleiman, Chris Hedges, uh, a host of people, and uh, we we hope to continue to grow the forum. If you'd like to see any of the the talks, these Hub talks, uh, you know, you can check out our website. It's it's hub-foundation.org, and p- folks in the Bay Area, you're welcome to attend. Uh, we we hope to to have uh, so some, some more interesting, um, uh, talks this, this next year on, you know, uh, Sheikh Ahmedou Bamba, Ibn Arabi, women's spirituality, Karen Armstrong, we hope will be coming back others on, on philosophy, mysticism and the arts. Yeah.
0: Alhamdulillah. That's it. So I'm so happy you're doing it. And, uh. May Allah bless all your work, inshallah. Alhamdulillah. Jazakallah Thank you. you. wise brother. Thank you for listening to Path & Present Podcast. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so in a few ways. One is word of mouth. And people hear about the podcast mostly from people like you who listen and like it and say, I know someone who would connect with this, or who would feel this, or who would enjoy this subject matter. So continue to share with your family and friends. Secondly, you can subscribe, rate, and comment um, on the iTunes page of Path & Present. Subscribing means that the podcast, will each episode will come directly to you when we release it. And rating and commenting means that it will grow and uh, come up in the iTunes rankings, which will allow it to be... um, available and uh, seen by more people. And then lastly, you can support financially on Patreon. Patreon is a site which allows people to give a small amount monthly to support um, art or any type of content. And we have a Path and Present page on Patreon. The link is on our SoundCloud page, SoundCloud slash Path and Present. And you'll find the Patreon link there and yeah you can support there we're greatly appreciative of it uh i guess lastly lastly keep us in your prayers your positive thoughts and your moments of remembrance and thank you for tuning in and being part of the global past and present family one love